So today I'm sitting with Matt Bishop, who is a therapist on our team, licensed. Yeah. Genius. Yep. Mm-hmm. As of seven months ago. Seven months ago. It was oh a long gosh. journey. Yeah, but you sure did it. I did. Yeah. Mir- miraculously. We feel real lucky to have him. Um, we're going to talk about relapse this morning. Uh, we thought it's it's something that we talk with clients about uh, whether they're addictive behaviors around porn, sex, eating, uh, all the millions of things that we can get addicted to. So we're going to talk about um, principles that can apply to all kinds of addictive um, experiences and how to handle relapse and what that looks like and all the things that come with that. So maybe just share uh, at the get-go, like what's, what's your perspective of relapse and how do you explain that to clients? Yeah, I think it's super important to realize that recovery is just a non-linear process and I think we all love stories where you know there's someone who's addicted to alcohol or sex or gambling or an eating disorder and they have this you know miraculous encounter with the spiritual or with themselves Mm -hmm. and they just you know never struggle again and those stories all make us feel warm and fuzzy but for most of us most of the time relapse is going to be a part of our recovery mm-hmm. and we're not going to have I think the fairy tale moment may come but it'll come after uh, a lot of work a lot of work and a lot of struggles and and um, you know more than a few relapses yeah. and so you can always look back and say oh, that will be the day that's the day that I never acted out again or drank again or purged again um, but before that even in recovery when we're really trying um, we're just not going to do things perfectly. Yeah. And I think that there's so many resources for how to not relapse, but um, uh, there's not enough rela- resources on, okay, I relapsed, now what? Like, what do I do? How do I talk to my wife? Should I talk to my wife? Should I talk to my girlfriend? Should I talk to my family? Should I talk to my friends? Um, how, if so, how much do I share? And I just think with, for most of us, since it is a, it is a journey. It is a struggle. It is a, a process. We just need to learn how to do that well mm-hmm. and how to treat ourselves well in that right, process. Right. I think it's especially important with, um, you know, like some some addictions, you really are walking away from entirely, right? Like if you're um, <clears throat> an alcoholic who's letting go of alcohol or someone who's using drugs and or gambling or something like that, we're like, I'm never going to do that again. But if your compulsive behavior is around your sexuality or around food, those kinds of things are a part of regular life mm-hmm. and trying to figure out like when when was I doing that out of compulsion and when was that healthy? And I think um, it's so important to really talk through what what's relapse and what isn't right. in some of those those regular life um, experiences. So like, what are we going to do? We have to eat a bunch of times a day and how often is that healthy? And we're going to have sex and how often is that healthy and how do we sort all that out? And so using the phrase that recovery is a nonlinear process, I think is so important because there's, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of shenanigans. Along totally. The way, well, there's, right? It's really messy and really gray so with messy. those type of um, compulsions. Yeah. Because we don't have a innate biological drive to drink alcohol or an innate biological drive to shop. Those are kind of more developed. Yeah. But with sex or eating, it's like, no, I have a biological drive, sex drive. I have a biological yeah. drive to eat. And so um, working alongside people and discovering what your boundaries are around those things and um, 
what constitutes, you know, this construct of sobriety that has kind of been created mm-hmm. um, can be really messy, which I think, you know, as we'll talk about later, is what is what hopefully friends are there for and therapists are there for and sponsors are there for to kind of help us navigate those more difficult, nuanced questions. Yeah. Can you talk about uh, some of the things that you see either, you know, within friends or um or in your work of or in your own experience like what are what are the some some of the things you want to encourage people to avoid doing when a relapse occurs yeah i think this so the perspective i come from personally is through sex addiction recovery and that's through my own journey and then many of my clients but again we want to say that these principles apply to many different addictions and compulsions and i think would say that there's two ways that we can really err when we talk about how we respond after relapse and that is we can either be too rigid with our behavior or we can be either too chaotic with our behavior and really what we find is a middle ground between those two which is both um, compassionate and accountable Mm, and when we when we have too much accountability but not enough compassion we get really rigid with our with with our processing right um and so we um make these you know maybe grand um pronouncements of mm-hmm. I will never do this again right, right? and especially right. if we have a spiritual background you know we may just get on the floor and swear to God like right. God I promise you right. I will never pick up another bottle again I'll never yeah. look at porn again um, or we can be really chaotic with our behavior on the other hand and when we don't have enough accountability um, we can get really chaotic with our behavior and we can just do things like just like lose a lot of hope mm-hmm. um, or um, lie to ourselves and lie to others and keep it a secret and hide your relapse. Um, you know, we can uh, victimize ourselves uh, and, and not take proper responsibility. And so uh, for, not take responsibility for our actions and instead just kind of um, mope and, and, and be really um, kind of complacent with that. And so, mm-hmm. so probably depending on your personality, you're going to be more prone to one of those two errors. Right. Um, and whether it's rigidity or grandiosity. And what we want is we want, you know, like there's good parts of rigidity in terms of accountability and there's there's um, there's good parts of the other side, which is compassion. What we want is just a healthy balance um, mm-hmm. between the two. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's important if you're working through recovery to make sure that the, the people in your life who are ha- helping you with that have that balance or are capable of that, right? They have the compassion and they're also going to press you to like, what are, you know, what are you going to do to help you make good decisions this week? Like, how are we going to, how are we going to help you with that? Rather than like, oh yeah, yeah, me too. Right. Like, totally, you know, like, just like, yeah, I had an entire chocolate cake last (laughs) week too. It's like, well, that's great. It makes me feel better for a minute, but it actually doesn't help me figure out how am I going to take care of myself and my body this coming week. And I think it can be really, you know, this is where, you know, the, the voice of, of, of relapse, it can be so powerfully uh, discouraging, right? And, mm. and I think it's really difficult to talk to your friends in recovery and say, I relapsed again, or tell your sponsor yeah. I relapsed again, right? Like, there's, um, it, it, and probably to the extent that we are afraid to do that is the extent we really want to check our egos mm. um, and, and really realize, like, you know, it's a reminder that we, we don't got this. We do need others. And we and for some of us who have been in 12-step programs for a long time, to have people pour into our lives and phone calls and coffee and listen to our step work, um, we can oftentimes feel like we're letting them down mm-hmm. when we relapse. Yeah. And, um, and people yeah. aren't 
always going to respond perfectly when you relapse either, right? Like, um, there, there can be like a, dude, I thought we were in this together, yeah. or they feel, frustrated. they feel frustrated with you, or something yeah. like that. And so oftentimes we can feel that that kind of shame. And, and I think like, it's always good to interpret like, oh, like people believe more in me than I'm behaving. Like, hmm. like people believe in me so much that like, it, I am letting them down when I act this way because they see the potential. They see yeah. the capacity for, for, for more. They see the capacity for, for a healthier version of me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so kind of reinterpreting people's frustration as a, hey, like I believe in you and I don't like the way you're treating yourself. Mm-hmm. And it frustrates me. I think can be really powerful because otherwise if we do yeah. just make ourselves a victims of what other people think of us or discouraging us, yeah. well, that's when the temptation to hide and to, to lie mm-hmm. or to isolate and not talk to anyone, yeah. um, to stay, you know, to binge, that, that's when that comes in. Yeah. Um, Would you say, Matt, like when somebody is just starting a road to recovery and, and maybe they're, let's take a, a porn as an, an example. So you've got a couple with that you're seeing and one of them struggling with porn and they're just starting that journey. Would you, do you talk to them about the potential of relapse and then no, try to normalize that for them? Or like, how, how would you explain that if somebody's just starting yeah. out and trying to let go of whatever it is? Totally. I think, you know, I think every couple has to come to their own arrangement, especially early in recovery about how much the partner wants to know mm. about the recovery process. Cause you can't unknow anything and I think that for so many, from what I've observed from so many spouses, um, there's this fear of, you know, if I'm not holding accountable, who will, or I need to know everything that's happening. And I think that it, it is, and it's so painful to say, but it's like, it may be unrealistic to expect that your partner is just going to never look back and never relapse again Mm. right like depending on how far they've gone in their addiction and 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 really what the honestly what the threat to the relationship is yeah um uh it just may be unrealistic especially if your partner's younger and they've been addicted to porn for years and you just found out it's just i mean this thing has been with them for decades and so uh, or potentially decades maybe a decade or something like and so um so living a new normal life of sobriety away from porn it's just going to be difficult at first, mm-hmm. and so what what I think can be helpful though is if you if 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 you show speaking from the perspective of the addict now or or the person who's stuck in addiction, um, hopefully it will be enough. Like if I show my partner that I am at first, you know, I'm I'm going to my meetings, I'm seeing my therapist, I'm doing my step work, mm-hmm. I have a sponsor, I'm talking to people in uh, like in the program, like. You want your recovery to be strong enough to inspire some sense of stability in your partner, right? Like, okay, he's got this or she's got this. He's doing his work. He's not going to do things perfectly. But if he struggles, I know he's not just going to spiral out of control. He has people he can talk to. Because early in sobriety, you know, it could be a weekly, couple times a week. I mean, it Mm -hmm. it really could be a weekly thing. It could be. And it's like, as as a a partner of someone's addiction, you have to ask yourself, like, do I really want to know every time he relapses? Because it can feel so deeply personal for you. Right. Even though for your partner who's addicted, it's just the water they've always swam in. And they're just trying to learn a new normal without swimming in those waters, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, so I, I think there's a healthy sense of surrender that a partner, someone, a partner to someone who's in an addiction can have. 
Um, but each each relationship is different, right? Like each couple is different. Right. Um, and so I think like navigating that is something that's deeply personal between the two of them. And of course, like I think yeah. a therapist can kind of chime in and say, here's maybe what some things you want to think about. Um, and they might at that time discuss deal breakers, right? Like if you get in a car after drinking again, that's a deal breaker for me or, you know, whatever, whatever that is. But having that conversation along with the conversation about the potential for relapses could really help a couple move forward with less trauma, right? Of like, well, you know, they told us about that. They told us that this would be a possibility. And so here it is. And right. now we just have to figure out how to navigate it and whether it's a deal breaker um, relapse or not, because some some relapses are much smaller than others, right? So that's part of what yeah. everybody's trying to navigate is like, how worried do we have to be about this particular relapse? And yeah. How tragic is it? Right. Right. Or is it like, gosh, this is so much better than the last time. And this is us moving forward. Right. right? So. And I think that's a really common dynamic is like, especially when there's discovery, um, you know, maybe you just found out your partner is, has a problem with something. Um, they, what, what looks like um, really big steps back for you might actually be a step forward, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, my partner got drunk once this month or looked at porn once this month. Like, how could they? But for that person who's used yeah. to you know, like looking at porn several times a week, right. once right. in a I'm month. It. It, yeah, it might actually look like progress, right? <laughs> right and so there's this right. really unfair discrepancy between, yeah. and that's between the two parties. And that's why I think it's good um, if you're a partner to some addiction. I, I think it's, I, what I would recommend is just like have some sort of, it could be structured check-ins like once mm-hmm. a month, or once every six weeks, I'm, I'm going to ask you how your recovery is going and you need to be dead set honest with me. Right. Um, and those could be scheduled or it could be unscheduled. How are things going? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, and not to say it never works, but I think that um, early and early sobriety, again, we're talking about early recovery here. Um, how long? And obviously you can't give a specific time, but like what do you generally see in terms of when you see people getting more solidly in recovery and when relapse or relapses often not so much on the table for people anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think that conversation is really nuanced, right? Like when I first got into my recovery, I was 23 mm-hmm. and single. Yeah. And, um, you know, it took me a year before I ever got a month, you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. of sobriety, right? Right, right. Now, I wasn't in a relationship of someone who I was just constantly hurting. Mm-hmm. The consequences for my it's behavior... For at that time, we're really like, oh, how often do I want to feel like shit about myself? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, so I, I think you know that that's different. Now, you know, if you're married or you have kids, it's like, um, you know, or 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 your your bottom of where you go when you act out. You know, if we're talking mm-hmm. about participating in massage parlors or you know, really, right, right. you know, human trafficking, you know, prostitutes yeah. stuff like that, like, yeah. Um, I think like that, you know, we're talking about almost almost radically different things at yes, that point, right? Yes, like there's I a threshold so. of breaking uh, that, you know, we kind of lump everything into sex addiction, but um, there certainly are no, not that there's not commonalities, but from a mm-hmm. from a partner's perspective, it is good, you know, to say like, you know, how much am I willing? Um, how much can I put up with? Yeah. How much can I tolerate? Right? Yeah. And so. I think it's good to talk about what you said about deal breakers and things like that. So, you know, I would say if we're just talking about, you know, if we're talking about something that you feel like you can live with, but not Mm -hmm. long term, 
I would say like you want to give it probably like six months to a year of someone thoroughly being in the program, thoroughly being a a part of um, recovery and giving them that chance, right? Right. Um, To kind of undo so much of the, I mean, honestly neurological connections they've yeah. formed of, I mean, of addictions like yes. you're just you're just up against these brain structures that have formed and reinforced this behavior yeah. Yeah. and it takes a while for that fog to clear yeah. now if there's a you know physical danger to yourself or your family like obviously these are all factors that are going to cause you to kind of expedite that process of i don't think it's healthy for me or my family to be mm-hmm. in this relationship mm-hmm. Um, you know, if someone's bringing an STD into the house or someone's right. driving drunk with the kids, right? right? Or someone, you know, someone's on constant self-harm, you know, a constant self-harm threat. Like, mm-hmm. there are things that um, partners can do to kind of get out of um, that circumstance faster. And I, I, yeah. I would advocate for that. But, yeah. but, if, but you know, but if this is just, mm-hmm. this, is, this is really painful for me emotionally, but I don't feel like I'm in any physical danger, mm-hmm. I would say, like, you want to give... You want to give your, but you have hope for the relationship. Yes. You can see something on the other side of this that yeah. can be really, really good if you really work for it. Right. I would say you really want to give your partner, you know, six months to a year to kind of find their grounding. Yeah. It's super you know. helpful because if the expectation is like my, my partner is not going to relapse because they feel so terrible and they're so committed and then the relapse happens, that can be really re-traumatizing, right? right. Like I thought, you know, I thought we were doing this thing. So it's so helpful to have some kind of a, a concept of what recovery looks like and that it is it's going to take time and they're going to be they're going to be some relapses along the way yeah yeah absolutely and, and you know I, I guess I just want to say like having been on the recovery journey myself like if you were sent this podcast because your friends thought Oh, he just relapsed. Maybe it'd be a good thing to listen to. I just want to say, like, mm. I'm really sorry. Mm. And I know that, like, yeah. no one is more mad at you than you are right now. Mm. And I think I just remember being in the headspace and, like, there are a million and one good reasons you can think of, like, just why not to give a shit. Yeah. Or, just, like, it just feels safer to just wallow. Yeah. And I just, I just can't muster up the energy to try one more time. And how many times am I going to keep doing this? Like... I think, like, I've been there. I know so many of my clients have been there. And, like, really, you just have to ask yourself of, like, what would you, how to be your own best friend in this moment? Like, if Mm -hmm. your best friend was struggling right now and you had that much care and compassion for someone you really care about, like, how can you kind of turn that towards yourself? And, like, what is it that you feel like you need right now? Like, um, even if it's something silly, right? Like, even Mm -hmm. if it's something like, I need ice cream, like, or... um, Assuming you, it's not binging and purging, but like, you know. <laughs> yeah. We'll use that ice cream for another addiction. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, right? Or like, I just need to hang out with my friends. Like, I think, like, it's okay. And in fact, it's probably crucial to have a, a healthy amount of self care mm-hmm. um, in that moment. Um, and you, by prioritizing yourself or not being selfish, you're actually just setting yourself up to be selfless. For when you maybe have to have potential tough conversations yeah. with a partner. or So sort of taking that shame and then turning that into self-compassion. Say, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for reasons, right? Like as right. dumb as it is and as hurtful to me and perhaps others as it is, there's a reason why this addiction developed or this compulsion developed. And I want to have compassion for that 
for that piece of me that needed this. Absolutely. That developed this out of some reason, yeah. right? I think you can even do that. And I, I remember um, I remember doing this probably one of the last times I ever relapsed. I just had this realization of like, I think, um, so I'm going to get a little scientific here, right? Mm, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so our, so where our, the language center of our, of our brains are different from the, from uh, the experiential feelings part of our brains, right? And so we feel things and then we put language to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I remember um, always saying like, oh, I feel so much shame. I feel so much shame. I feel so much shame. And there was this moment where I was just like, uh, I was just like, is that shame I feel? Mm. Or is this just a lot of pain? Like, yeah. is my body telling me like, ouch, you just put poison in me. I don't like that. That's I need great. you to take care of me. Like, And so I think like for, for, for us, for any of us who are recovering from any type of addiction or compulsion when we, when we relapse, like your body is going to have painful reactions to the damaging things you just put it through right Mm -hmm. and then we can interpret those feelings as shame oh i'm so embarrassed i'm so ashamed of i could do this again but like what if you just experience like oh like when i just cut myself like my body doesn't like that and how do i be a good owner caretaker of my body Mm -hmm. or when i just put when i just absorb porn and I just absorb these, you know, like atrocities, really human rights violations against women who oftentimes are being trafficked and degraded. It's like, oh, like, that's actually my body saying like, ouch, that poison doesn't feel good. Or very literally, if I just drank a lot of alcohol and put a massive amount of drug and poison on my body and I'm hung over, like, ouch, my body is saying I don't like that. And now we have the ability to say, okay, so how do I be kind to myself? Because I'm really, really, really hurting. Hmm. And, and you may not get that from your spouse or your partner at first, right? They rightfully so may be really angry at you. Mm-hmm. And it is, it behooves you to, um, like, encounter them with a really put-together, non-mopey, non-victim mm-hmm. version of yourself. Right. You can't rely on them to always be the compassionate person, so, compassionate person. So you have to do that for yourself so that when you do have that difficult conversation... You're actually like standing tall and able to take accountability for what you did, apologize, not make it about yourself, right? right because right. you've already done the self-care. You've already mm-hmm. done the, I'm really hurting. How do I take care of myself? I know I'm not a piece of shit. I know I have inherent self-worth. I know I'm, I'm not going to do this perfectly, but if I keep pushing, I can get it right. Um, and so now that I know that, I can talk to my partner and say, I relapsed. I totally screwed up. I'm so sorry. What do you need? How can I, you know, and, and they're going to say, how could you do this to me again? Or they're going to say, I'm so mad at you. And you have to stand tough and say, I know, I'm so sorry. You're absolutely right. Here's, here are the steps that I'm going to take. You're so right. And just constantly validate and show that remorse and show that commitment to change. Like partners need to see that. They cannot see that victim moping stuff because that, then you're just both in this, helpless state together yeah and that's when really relationships fall apart and that's when honestly partners get so resentful because it's like you screwed me over you hurt me and now you're making this about you again and you're victimizing of yourself and your mopiness right right yeah and if you can do that self-compassion piece you're really doing repair work Right. right. Like the reason we developed these compulsions was because we didn't get our needs met. There wasn't somebody watching over us well enough or, yeah. you know, whatever those reasons are where we felt hurt or ignored or betrayed or whatever. And if instead of focusing on shame, we we ch- change that into like, I, you know, my body's hurt. I'm not 
you know, what, what can I do to take care of myself? We're really offering ourselves the very thing that we weren't offered when right. we needed it. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool studies about that, too, of like um, like the, the mice that were raised outside of their little collective mouse family and the mice that are. If you take a mouse that was raised in, in isolation, you take a mouse who was raised in community and you offer them water laced with cocaine, the mm. mouse in community is going to be like, I don't want that, right? Interesting. And they'll just drink the water. The mouse yeah. in isolation will be like, I need that. Yeah. I need that. I need that cocaine. What's interesting is after you reintroduce that mouse to community after they've been addicted to cocaine, they'll wean themselves off and, and switch back to water. Wow. And so it, it's been said before, but you know, the opposite of, of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Mm-hmm. And so we need that. And when we connect, we our, our bodies release all these naturally beautiful hormones and oxytocin yes, is the yes. is that big bonding chemical right, right and so right. oftentimes addiction is really just a symptom of feeling really lonely really isolated and so there really is this in recovery then long-term recovery there's ideally just this really beautiful reconnection with yourself mm-hmm. that you really should have been you know you're kind of almost reparenting yourself to yeah. learn both compassion and accountability right and that's what good parents do right mm-hmm. when their kids screw up they they're not you know, over the top angry, but they're also not crazy permissive. Yeah. They offer, you know, this structure that's both, um, yeah, that's both uh, accountable and, and understanding and compassionate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I love this quote from, um, from uh, Russell Brand. He's got a great book, Freedom mm-hmm. Recovery from Our Addictions, but he's talking about his own recovery. And he just said, um, a counselor at the treatment center where, where I got clean herself a woman in recovery, surprised me when she said, how clever of you to find, drug, to find drugs. Well done. Mm-hmm. You found a way to keep yourself alive. This made me feel quite tearful. I suppose because this woman, Jackie, didn't judge me or tell me I was stupid or tub-thumping link, that's a British term apparently, declare <laughs> that drugs kill. No, she told me that I had done things well by finding something that made being me bearable. To be acknowledged as a person who was in pain and fighting to survive in my own modeled up, misguided way made me feel optimistic and understood. It is an example of the compassion addicts need from one another in order to change. And later on he says, um, you need only allow the gentle hope to enter your heart. Exhale and allow hope and give yourself some time. This is a process of change that requires a good deal of self-compassion, which is neither stagnant nor permissive, right? And that's that's mm-hmm. so much that's that beautiful. we need. It's, like, it's yeah. not this permissiveness that allows us to wallow. Um, and and it's, it's this kind of moving forward mm-hmm. um, and, and saying, I believe more of you, so I'm going to hold you accountable. But I'm also not going to, you know, shame you, judge you, yeah. um, tear you down yeah i mean that it's so beautiful right and it just it just reinforces what we see all the time in working with clients and in our own lives like where did our compulsive behaviors come from like why did we develop them and we can all trace them back to painful experiences or painful relationships that like this was our attempt to take care of ourselves and it took care of us for a while right. and now it's going sideways, right? right. So like now we're like, now we need to take care of ourselves in a way that's more effective right. and it's really going to solve the the woundedness that we're dealing with. So but I th- you know it's just so interesting that uh, Russell Brand is now, you know, like t- just to hear 
just to hear his perspectives. Like, it's so cool, the journey that he's been on and how powerfully he's communicating about this issue. Yeah, and I would say, if uh, again, that book is called uh, Recovery, Freedom from Our Addictions, and... uh, I would I listen to the audiobook, you know, mm. which is him narrating his oh, it is? beautifully, oh, cool. you know, yeah. British accent with all of yeah. the cadence and um, of his uh, just how he speaks so wonderfully. It's it's really good. Good. Um, yeah. Awesome. Anything else you want to say? So I would just say, um, you know, I, I oftentimes um, I will tell uh, clients who relapse, I'll say, um, if you know, oftentimes they may be relapsed for the first time since they've been in therapy or since they've really tried this mm-hmm. thing. I'll just like, if you get sober but fail to learn how to show yourself compassion at your low points, mm-hmm. you will have missed a major part of recovery. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this ability to develop self-compassion, again, which is not permissive, but which says, I, 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 how do I take care of myself? Um, I, th- I think we all just have to learn to do that really, really well mm-hmm. um, and try really hard for it. And it's going to be different than how we were raised, right? So it's not going to feel right. intuitive. And it may right. feel cheesy or it may feel... Mm-hmm. Um, wrong, uh, even. Even wrong, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah or, and, and, I, and I think we, we all have to... You know, like a good parent... I always tell this to clients, right? Like, good parents tie their shoes kids until they learn to tie their shoes themselves. They brush yeah. their, their kids' teeth until they learn to brush them themselves they love them long enough until they learn to love themselves right mm, yeah. and so oftentimes what we're really doing is we're, we're learning to take care of ourselves for the first time and love ourselves for the first time and many times our addictions can just be a failed attempt to take care of ourselves right, right? when we feel stressed right. angry discouraged let down just run to our addictions and so right. we have to learn a new normal so you know be being gentle with yourself while still holding yourself accountable being honest you know, with, with someone, you know, and, and may, have that first phone call, know, have that first phone call be to someone who mm-hmm. you know is going to be on your side and really encourage yeah. you, right? Be like, tender to you. And be tender to you, yeah. right? Like, it's okay if your spouse isn't the first person you call, unless you have an agreement with your spouse that they're right. the first person you <laughs> yeah. call, right? I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to go against anyone's kind of agreements they have with, with, with their relationships. Um, and then, like, I think one of my favorite phrases is, like, just don't waste the pain. Mm. And so you just went through something really difficult. What do we learn from it, right? Like, what precluded the relapse? What triggered you? How did you make this okay in your own head, right? Like, we have to, um, when the we have to clear the fog and of, of of shame and discouragement, and we have to start asking ourselves, like, okay, how can I improve on this? What were you know what went through my head? Mm-hmm. What steps could I intervene and make a phone call? Yeah. You know, like we can't waste that pain. We, we we have to make that experience worth something by learning from it. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Some resources that um, would be helpful going forward. Again, if you want to get Russell Brand's book, Recovery, Freedom from Our Addictions, he actually has a new book called Mentors right now. Hmm. And I think he he had to take a lot of that from his sponsor, from his experience of having sponsors in AA, oh. I would imagine. But, that's a, the, cool. but his first one, uh, Recovery, Freedom from Our Addictions, is really good. Um, there's a bunch of good worksheets you can write out if you just Google Relapse Prevention Plan PDF, and it'll just have kind of, um, here's our game plan going forward of how, um, you know, here are the five people I can call, here are the things I can do to distract myself, here are the things, um, the places I can go, or the people I can talk to, just here are the commitments I'm making to, mm-hmm. to not relapse. Um, and then as always, I would just encourage everyone to, if you're not in some sort of therapeutic um, relationship where you don't have a therapist, I just encourage you to enter into that and find a therapist who you um, 
just feel like is on your team and supports yeah. you through the relapses and, so and can uphold you and, 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 and encourage you dur- during those times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for having me. You bet. Bye. Bye-bye.